If you have your Bible, uh, turn to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. And uh, uh, I've entitled this message, Back to School. Back to School. And uh, um, if, you, if, you, if, it, if it's been a while uh, since you've been in any kind of school, the uh, students are back to school, and uh, that's why we actually, uh, at the, in the youth ministry, in the middle school ministry, we actually don't operate on the 2015 calendar year. We, we do school year. That's how we kind of think about things. We do our series on things, and, and, and we kind of move through that. So, like, we're actually starting our year now. So this is, uh, this is our big kickoff, and that's how we kind of train our leaders to think, because that's how teenagers and uh, young adults, if they're in college, all of them think. So uh, I, I thought this might be a nice time to talk to all of us and uh, uh, visit one of uh, my favorite passages in the whole Bible and uh, a real superhero of the faith and uh, find out what happens when God takes somebody to school and uh, uh, he has the same groans that your seventh graders do when they have to wake up and go to school and so I think it's a lot of fun. Um, When we took the uh, job here at Lakeside, when, when we, we took the opportunity to be the pastor, Julie and I, um, we had two very, very small little boys, and uh, they, they, were, they were a big impetus for us to move up here, and uh, their names are Jack and Logan, and when I put them into the car and uh, put everything into a trailer and, and drove up, the first time driving through snow and, and all of that, uh, I had them, I think they were three or four weeks old at, the, at, the, at that point. So um, it was a huge transition for me. And in fact, we were only going to be interim, and, and I had another job lined up in, in D.C., and that was really interesting, and so we were going to go do that. And, and uh, something happened. I, I fell in love. Julie and I just fell in love with you guys and the teenagers and young adults, and, and we had no idea the Lord would expand our ministry into different areas at this church, and so I'm so grateful, and, and so this is, this is really exciting. I'm coming up on uh, five years here, five years in January, and uh, it just flies by, but how many of you know that it really flies by when you have kids? And uh, uh, so, so Jack and Logan now look like this. Uh, they just started their first day of preschool here at Lakeside. And so there they are. Uh, they were both about four pounds. I could hold one in each hand. And, uh, um, and that was just four and a half years ago. And so there they are on their first day of school. And there's their backpacks. So uh, um, they cost more than normal backpacks because someone decided to put felt on the bottom. Uh, it was clever. And uh, mom couldn't resist. And then there they are on their third day of school. <laughs> so uh, I, 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 I didn't realize that, that that understanding of 13 years of this would set in so quickly. I thought I'd get a, a full weekend before they uh, just started melting. But uh, that's as far as we got. But go back to that second slide and show off those backpacks. Uh, Jack, uh, the, the one on the... Uh, the left side of the screen was um, uh, really excited the day before for school. And so he, he came up to me proudly saying, I'm ready. And, uh, and he had his backpack stuffed. And, and I said, oh, wow, what's in there? And he just showed me like pieces of Legos, you know, like a Barbie head, but they're boys, so where did they get that from? So I had to apologize to the neighbor, and uh, there was some mud in there in the little pocket, and uh, four uh, 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 
suckers, they, they know um, Linda Berenger is uh, the sucker lady, and uh, she gives them uh, these candies. So, so he had been uh, hoarding them for the big day of school, you know, saving one of the 45 she gives them every day. And uh, uh, he was ready to go. He had this thing jam-packed, and it was just full of stuff. And, uh, of course, I immediately attacked him, saying, that's ridiculous. You don't know anything about school. And he said, you're right, Father. No, I, I just thought it was the cutest thing in the world. What do you, what do you take me for? And um, it was just adorable. And uh, so today we're going to talk about back to school, and we're going we're gonna to talk real quickly about the things that um, uh, we put in our backpack and the, the places we go with it. I, 1 Kings 19, and I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage, and I've chosen the NIV today because it is um, more interesting in a conversational tone for this story. Basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the passage once, and then we'll just kind of work our way through it. Is that okay? It's, it's, it's a really great story, and uh, it's one of my favorites. So uh, 1 Kings 19, and this is about Elijah, flees Horeb. Uh, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything. Oh, and by the way, Jezebel is trending as a a new baby name. Um, I don't recommend it. Uh, You'll see in a moment. Everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say this. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he went himself, went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, which is like a a large overhanging bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might, what? Die. You ever felt like that? This way he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. In other words, I should be dead too. And he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up, eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights, which is a a very important number in the Bible. We see it over and over and over again. God doesn't do anything on accident. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. We would call it Mount Sinai. There he went into a cave, so he's inside of the mountain, and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophet to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, and for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. 
but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Uh, uh, The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Manoah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouth have not kissed him. Let's pray. God, I pray that this uh, old, old story would be fresh to us again. God, this, this is a word uh, you've put on my heart, and I'm really excited about it. And I, I pray that, that uh, today we learn that you and you alone get to know the future. Not that we know it, we all know it, but that we learn it, that even when you take us back to school, that we remember that you're in control, you're the principal, you know exactly what's going on, and you always have, and we can trust in you. Father, if you can't speak through me today, speak in spite of me. I pray that everyone here would be able to walk away today and say, wow, today we've heard from God. And God spoke to me, and I am better because of what God said. In Jesus' name, amen. Where are my parents? Where are my parents? Where's my mamas and my daddies? Okay, three of you. Okay, all right, okay. I'm like, where'd the youth group come from? Okay, uh, how many of you uh, are singleton in, in the uh, twin community? They call it singleton, one babies. You got one kid, one kid. Okay, all right, cool, cool. How many of you have more than one? How many of you have more than one? How do I know the ones who had more than one? They went, yeah, 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 that's me. Uh, the more than one is an interesting group. And uh, I read something I thought was kind of funny, so I, I thought I'd, I'd share it today. Julie and I have more than one at once. And, uh, and so we fit into the, the latter category of uh, just trying to kind of uh, survive when we had children. Uh, I mean, we still do, but they were babies. And there is that period of life when they're young, Real young uh, infants and, and toddlers, you think, I'm going to die, Lord. I will die. This, this will be the end of me. And uh, somehow you make it through, and by the end, you feel like a, a, a veteran of foreign wars. You're just, you're just ready to do it. So, so uh, here's some ways being a parent changes things. Being a parent changes everything, I think. But here's some ways having a second child is a little different 
from the first one you had. Uh, The clothes. The first baby, you begin wearing maternity clothes as soon as your doctor confirms your pregnancy. The third baby, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. (laughs) Preparing for the birth. That first baby, you practice your breathing lamas religiously. By the third baby, you ask for an epidural in your eighth month. Worries. The first baby at the first sign of distress, a a whimper or a frown, a little coo, you pick that baby up. The third baby, you you teach your three-year-old how to rewind the mechanical swing. (laughs) A pacifier. First baby, if the pacifier falls on the floor, you put it away until you can go home, wash and boil it, and then throw it out anyway. The third baby, you wipe it off on your shirt, put it in your mouth first to get the rest of the dirt off, and pop it back in. Diapers. You change your baby's diaper every hour, whether they need it or not. And you tried cloth. Third baby, you tried to change their diaper before others start to complain about the smell. (laughs) Or you see it sagging to their knees. Activities. First baby, you take your baby to baby gymnastics. Baby swing, baby swim, baby story hour at the library. Third baby, you take your infant to the supermarket. Going out, first baby, the first time you leave your baby with a sitter, you call the home five times and uh, return an hour early. With your husband or without him. Third baby, you leave instructions for the sitter to call only if she sees blood, and lots of it. (laughs) And lastly, at home, the first baby, you spend a good bit of every day just gazing at your baby, touching the baby just to make sure he's still breathing, because he might stop. Third baby, you spend a little bit of every day hiding from the children. (laughs) I remember Jack and Logan were infants. Uh, I would would walk over to them every night, every night, and and touch their little chest to make sure they weren't dead. It's a surreal moment when they load that thing into your car, and then they go, bye, (laughs) just pay the bill. And, and you're like, oh no, you know, there's, 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 they almost outnumber us now. What do we do, Julie? You know, and, and you're driving home and that's it. Like, that's it. And so, you know, people, they say, oh, it's so great with babies and you dream about their future, blah, blah, blah. You know, all you're doing really is you're like, oh, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And they, they're like, yeah, oh, you got to read this book and what to expect when you're expecting. and all. None of that matters when you're just trying to survive, right? They say the best battle plan doesn't for survive the first shot. That's exactly how babies are. And you're just like, I don't know what to do. And people are like, well, you got to do this. And you're like, that doesn't matter. You know, it's not working. And then nothing is ever simple. And everything's complex. And it's extremely stressful. So we moved up here with four-week-old, two of them, in snow. And I'd seen snow exactly four times in my life, and all three of them were at Disney World. And so uh, they made it out of ice blocks, out of bubbles, or I don't know, you know, and so I'm like, oh, okay. And, and then I, I, uh, I'm up here, and um, my mom was really sick, and uh, I had this whole new culture to get used to, and, and I, I got yelled at in Walmart on the first day because I spoke in Spanish and asked this lady how she's doing, and she goes, honey, I'm Italian, I don't know what you think I am, and I was like, I'm sorry, uh, you know, because all the brown-haired people with great tans were all Hispanic where I was from, and, you know, and then... 
I, I, I didn't know what to do, and I, I didn't know why the sun was going down so fast at like 3.30, it was midnight, and I was just completely out of my element. And I, I developed a twitch in my eye that you could see, and people were like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Praise God, he's called me to Michigan, you know? I'm losing my mind here. And I felt like, I felt like, you know how in movies, movies are great. You know why? Because the problem is always aliens are coming in. The dinosaur escapes the paddock. You know, it's never like I screwed up or this thing is a nightmare and I don't know what to do. It's always like kill that thing, it's coming at us. It's always external. But the, the, the truth of it is, is the most, most of our worries in life are actually internal, aren't they? Most of the problems in life you and I have generated from that ever-cranking problem machine. We're like, I'm going to do a good thing. Oh no, bad things are coming out, you know? And it's just like, it's stressful and life is stressful. And you go, what is going on? And, and, and we have all of these uh, pills now for anxiety. One of the number one issues that I deal with as a youth pastor is anxiety, depression, and suicide. Anxiety, depression, and suicide. These guys are 14 years old, and they're dealing with this stuff. And you could say, oh, back in my day, it, it's not your day anymore. It is not my day anymore. I'm 33, and the world has changed dramatically in 15 years. Dramatically. So here's this deal. Why do we worry? Why do we worry? What are some things that we worry about? Go ahead and tell me. Talk back to me. What are some things we worry about? I'll start one out. Uh, health, right? We worry about health. What else? Money. Yes, I would say the, 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 the right after health, the number one is money. What else? Nobody will love disease. Nobody will love me? Disease? Family. Fa family. Huge. For good and ill. Your kids can be breathing and you still walk up and go... I know you were breathing when I first touched you, but maybe you, you stop now. You know? How, what, what else? Failure. Acceptance. Failure. Was that DVD with your awesome man voice? It's, it's like he's got a microphone, but he's way in the back. Oh, I love that guy. He's available to uh, clear out for security. He'll just yell at the teenagers and they run, so it's great. Why do we worry? Ultimately, Ultimately, and, and what's, what's interesting, you want to feel old? Do you want to feel old? How many of you remember the movie Back to the Future 2? Okay, so they made three of them. The middle one, he goes to the future instead of to the past. That date is coming up next month that he visits in the future. Hoverboards, flying cars, the whole deal. Man, that stinks, right? Where's my hoverboard? They never invented it. Here's the deal. We worry because we cannot control the future. Jesus comes along and says, guys, don't worry. In fact, the number one commandment is fear not. If he was a surfer, it'd be like, chill, brah. Chill. Relax. But worry is essentially a preoccupation with something intangible. This idea of tomorrow. We never get there. We never get there. It's funny. We say, I'll see you tomorrow, but that's actually a misnomer. You can't see someone tomorrow because tomorrow then becomes today. 
You can never go back to yesterday and tomorrow never shows up. It's a famous riddle, actually. Worry is essentially that. You can buy all sorts of books. In fact, I did a lot of research for this message and read some books and and looked into it, and the secular author put it beautifully. This wasn't even a Christian author, but in one of the uh, articles I read, the author said, worry is like prayer in reverse. Worry is like prayer in reverse. It actually makes problems bigger. You ever ever taken a, 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 a pair of binoculars and flipped them around? That's, that's what it's like. It's like taking a microscope and flipping it around and looking through the other end. It, it makes biggest, big, huge problems. And one of the major problems with worry is it creates myopic vision. How I many you know what myopia is? Myopia is a condition of the eye where the exterior, the periphery, starts to cloud and go black because rods and cones are dying and, and, or uh, some, some other causes too. But you're, you're, you eventually start to get tunnel vision. Right? They, 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 they describe like a baseball player, he has myopia when he, when he throws because he's only focusing on one thing. He can't see the periphery. He can't see everything else. And worry does that to us. We start to clear out all the arenas of life and just worry about this one thing. Money. Our kids. Health. But unlike the self-help books, and there's a million of them, I went to Barnes & Noble uh, as a little bit of research, and I took a peek. On worry, I found 56 books. And that was not like Amazon. That was just on the shelf, in print, 56 books that are dealing with worry. But none of them, and I leaf through them, none of them have anything but therapy, medications, coping skills, mechanisms, but Jesus actually gives us the solution. If you're taking notes, Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet none of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. No bald jokes, don't worry. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Like a lot. I would also posit this. Worry is a waste of your life. Think about it. What is time? What is time that you really have? What is time? You know, we say, we say oh, that, that's a waste of time. You know, playing eight hours of video. That's a waste of time. Doing that all the time. That's a waste of time. What are we really saying? Time is your life. The minutes that you have, the minutes you're alive, that's your life, right? So if you're spending those on a fruitless activity, you're not wasting time. You're wasting your life. Don't waste your life. Worry is a waste of your life. So today, and I I love it when God does this, and if you ever see God ask a question, if you ever see God ask a question, just know that this is one of the most powerful moments in the Bible. Every time God asks a a moment, uh, where were you? Where are you? What are you doing? What do you want to Solomon? These are huge moments. These are hinge point moments. In fact, I love Isaiah. Isaiah is called the mini Bible. It, it, uh, uh, the Bible is 66 books. Isaiah is 66 chapters. Uh, Isaiah is kind of right down in the middle, right in between uh, the, the books. In fact, the middle chapter of Isaiah 40, 
the middle chapter of, of the Bible is, uh, or the middle book is 39, but the middle chapter of Isaiah 40 talks about the middle guy who separates B.C. and A.D. He, it's a prophecy about John the Baptist. So it, it, it's really neat. And that's not a coincidence. It's cool. It's, it's, it's like God says, ha, I'm really good at writing too, you know? And, and he does this unbelievable book. So I love Isaiah. But let me give you a little quick history. Who was the first king... Who was the first appointed king of Israel? Saul. Okay? And his kid was? Yes. And his best friend was? David. And David was? Second king. And his kid was? And his was the third king, Solomon. And then something crazy happened, and the kingdom split. And the northern kingdom was called the northern kingdom, or Israel. And the king of the north was called Ahab. And the kingdom of the south was called Judah. And this guy Ahab turns his back on God. We have seen this in our own lives, haven't we? How quickly a culture can change. How quickly a culture shifts, doesn't it? And Ahab was a bad dude. And God sent a messenger to talk to Ahab, a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah was told to say, it's not going to rain no more. God's mad. God says that he needs to hide now because he's given the prophecy. He does give the prophecy. And Elijah hides for three years. Three years go by. God says, all right, go back out. Talk to Ahab. Ahab's super mad at him. But he hears him out anyway. He says, tell him God is ready to teach the nation a lesson. Get everybody together. And so they have a meeting. And they meet on this mountain called Carmel. And, and he says, bring all your prophets. Bring all the prophets of Baal. And all the prophets of Baal and him have this big prophet showdown. Let's burn up an altar with only our God's power. No lighters allowed, right? And so he does that. And they're in the middle of a drought. And of course, these guys are cutting themselves, all this stuff. Elijah's making fun of them, asking if their God is in the bathroom. It's, it's actually really funny. I, I love it. And then nothing happens. Oh, uh, I jumped ahead too, by the way. Um, I know we're in 1 Kings, but I, the reason I want to talk about Isaiah is I'll talk about that in a minute. So then nothing happens. And Elijah says, all right, I'll do you one better. Guys, water it down. And they're in the middle of a drought, so water's precious. And he goes, nope, water it down. They water it down, and the fire from heaven comes down after you praise a simple prayer. And boom, a huge explosion. Everything melts. All the people look around and they're like, well, that's the real God, isn't it? And Elijah says, get him. And they kill him. They kill the prophets, these, these false prophets, because that's how they roll. And so they're all dead. Then Elijah turns to Ahab and says, hey, run home. It's going to rain. And there's this funny moment where there's no rain and him and his servant, they're kind of looking up in the sky. But then it starts to rain and Elijah is now the hero of the story. Everything is going grand. It's awesome. And Ahab goes back to his home to his wife Jezebel. And Jezebel sent a messenger to say this in 1 Kings 19. So Jezebel sent a messenger and said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Here's the thing about worry. Here's the thing about worry. Worry 
clouds what God did in the past. Worry clouds the miracles that you've seen. How many would say, I think this would be an interesting poll, how many would say, I have seen a bona fide move of God, like some sort of crazy thing. I've seen a miracle, I've seen a healing, I've seen God move in some miraculous way. Somebody got off drugs, or, or somebody came to church and they were like hating church, and, and God got a hold of their life. How many of you say that? How many of you say, I've seen, it'll be good for others who maybe haven't seen it. Put your hand up. Uh, look around if you're like a regular dude and you don't believe in all that stuff. You gotta talk to these people, okay? They're, he's gonna come talk to you, by the way. So be ready to prepare your, that's the testimony of God. Okay, so, so we believe that God moves. We've seen God move. And now Elijah, this superhero of the story, runs. I bet if I were to like drop in on your life in your moment of deep worry, I would be able to see God's faithfulness and I would be able to see what you're going through and I'd be like, hey man, it's cool, God's got it. But you wouldn't. And if you did the same to me, if you showed up to me in 2011, in, in January and February 2011, some of the toughest months of my life, with all of the changes and all of the units of stress I was going through, you'd be able to say, Ryan, it's cool, man. Remember in 2001 when you got in that car accident and you, you were supposed to be dead and you weren't? See, God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. You remember when you were in high school and uh, you got prophesied over and God moved in your life miraculously and changed you? Don't you remember when God healed your mom the first time of the brain tumor? Don't you remember how God paid for college for you and helped you out? Don't you remember how you were really ugly growing up and you still got a beautiful wife don't you remember God's mercy and love and it's a miracle I mean it's like better than being raised from the dead you're married in that moment did I get some brownie points I mean no no yeah all right good in that moment it's easy for you to say that to me it's easy and in that moment, it's easy for me to go, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's not helping February out, okay? It's snowing. And I don't know how to drive in snow. And all these Michigan people are passing me and giving me a, a weird wave with just one finger, you know? And I, I like to drive 10 miles an hour. I'm like, whoa, 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 you know? Have you ever had that? What is that? What is like the road's like, nah, forget it. The laws of gravity and physics don't apply anymore. Woo! <laughs> This is, how can I go sideways? Why, you know? You guys are crazy. And you're like, oh, it's just three inches, 70 miles an hour, you know? I love it. Where it's never a problem for the person on the outside looking in. We'd all be tempted to say what God says. Hey, man, what are you worrying about? You're like a super fireball hero and you control the weather. Hello? Ask God for one more teensy-weensy little fireball and blow up Jezebel. Right? I mean, isn't that the simplest idea here? But he begins to rationalize it. So then he goes to Beersheba in Judah. And here's a, a, a key part of that verse. He says, he left his servant there. So he had a follower. He's a prophet. had a follower. And his worry caused him to abandon a relationship. You see, the first casualty of worry is relationships. The first casualty, the first noticeable casualty of worry is actually relational. I would say, you know, we, we, we say, oh, what's the number one cause of conflict in a marriage? And everybody would say, 
Money, money is, all the, all the marriage counselors love to say that. It's money, money's the problem. You know what the problem is? Worry about money. I'm just saying. People don't, like, have problems with money as much as they have problems with worrying about money, right? The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. People get that wrong. The love of money is the cause of many kinds of evil, if you read the translation correctly. So it's, it's not, the, the number one cause in any marriage is not money. It's worry about money, mismanagement, and then you're worried about it. So the first casualty is relationship. He lost his servant. He, he didn't lose him, I should say. He abandoned him, left him. He kicked him to the curb. He said, how, how, many, of you have, how many of you have ever been in a situation where somebody was so worried that they said this to you? I, 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 I can't deal with it right now. That's worry. That's worry. Not, hey, not right now. Okay, you knock on the door. No, 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 no. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. I can't tell you how many times I've done street witnessing, and that is one of the most interesting aspects, is when you meet somebody who's a, a chronic worrier. Oh, uh, uh, no, no, I, I just can't. I can't. I can't talk to you right now. But that's, that's brothers and sisters in the faith, too. All the time we do this. Worry causes relationships to melt down. Listen, sin causes lots of relationships to melt down too. But worry is interesting. We go on and we read some more. While he was himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. How many of you have ever just been so frustrated, so upset, you're like, God, just kill me, right? Just, uh rapture me, right? That's the, I think God receives more prayers for rapture on Fridays because that's when uh, test quizzes and stuff happen in high school. And they're like, oh God, please, your rapture right now. 666, you know, like, end times. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. Blow up my school with, you know, send the Antichrist. I think my, my principal's the Antichrist. You know, and they're just ready for the rapture. You know, I, I, I'm pre-trib. I'm pre-trib. Take me now before this quiz. But What happens? He lays down under a bush, falls asleep, and an angel gives him some food. He's not eating. He's not taking care of himself. You see, the second casualty of worry is health. WebMD, a secular, very well-trusted website for uh, medical advice, says this, Can excessive worry make me physically ill? Yes, the fight-or-flight response caused by the body's sympathetic nervous system releases something called your stress hormones. And I, I don't want to go into all the Latin names and all that kind of stuff, but listen to some of the uh, um, complications. Difficulty swallowing, dizziness, dry mouth, fast heartbeat, fatigue, headaches, inability to concentrate, irritability, muscle aches, muscle tension, nausea, Nervous energy, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, sweating, trembling, and twitching. Some of you were stressing out just as I read that, right? And you're like, oh yeah, this is the first year with children. I get that now. Chronic anxiety and the outpouring of these stress hormones can cause the suppression of the immune system. We all get what that means, right? I mean, people die from AIDS not because AIDS kills them, but because it suppresses their immune system. AIDS-like symptoms. Digestive disorders, muscle issues, short-term memory loss, premature artery disease, heart attack. They've linked it to worrying. 
Not to genetics, not to bad eating, not to McDonald's, to worrying. If excessive worrying and high anxiety go untreated, and listen, they're talking about worrying like it's a disease, they can lead to depression and even suicide. The rate in suicide has increased dramatically among men middle age in the last four weeks because a cheating website called Ashley Madison where you sign up online using your real name and your real email, hello, sin makes you stupid, amen? They sign up to get other people to cheat on their wives with and so all these men, the, the accounts got hacked, released onto the internet by hackers, and now all of these names, senators, how many of you heard of this? Senators, I didn't even know what that was. I, I feel bad for every girl named Ashley Madison. That is like awful, right? You know? But like, like here now we have this issue, and the men can't deal with the worry, and so instead of reconciling with their wives, fixing the problem, apologizing publicly, they're killing themselves. Yes, Worry can kill you. Yes, sin is a problem in that uh, example, but worry will kill you. He looks around, and there by his head, some bread. He eats it, drinks the water, and the angel of the Lord says, get up. Get up and eat even more. So he gets up, and he goes through the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights, no food. It's miraculous. It's, it's don't do this. You know, it's, it's a miraculous kind of thing. And he arrives at Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is also Mount Sinai where Moses saw the burning bush. Mount Horeb is where Moses met with God and received the Ten Commandments after leaving Egypt. And, and Horeb is where the ancient people went to go spend time with God. This is where they went. So they, they went there. And he spends like a month traveling to this place to die, to be close to God. He is not traveling there to have some revelation to God. He's not. He's traveling there because in his mind, it's the only place left. And so he's going to go, he's going to die there and be with God. You know, I, I, uh, I do believe we're in the end times. I'm excited for this production that we have coming up in October. You should bring your friends. Uh, it's a great opportunity for those who might be religious but not really go to church except maybe once a, a year or something like that. It's a great opportunity because it forces people to think about heaven and hell and life and death and the afterlife. And most people don't. Most, most people don't. But there is a pernicious issue in charismatic Christianity today. This focus on the end times as a, a, a bait and switch for what they should be doing with their lives. It's the prepper mentality. It's this idea that I'd rather uh, fight zombies, I'd rather be at the end time scenario than live here. Why? Because living here and paying a mortgage and being nice to your husband or whatever, you know, that's like hard. Killing zombies is easy, relatively. Uh, you know, I haven't seen, seen too many of those movies, but they don't seem that hard to kill. This is hard. Surviving the apocalypse, I got Jesus, I'm ready to go. Living your life in community, that's worry. It's, it's frustrating and it's hard. And so he's, he's doing that. He's going to be a prepper. He's going to go up to the mountains. He's going to live in a shipping container. You know, he's going to eat beans and just wait for, wait for death. He's ready to go. He's given up. 
Here's the deal. Worry messes with the third casualty of worry is our theology. Theology is real simple. Thoughts about God. Thoughts about God. Biology, thoughts about living organisms. Theology, thoughts about God. Now, most of us, uh, uh, if you've been in this church a long time, listen, I, I've been in a number of churches. I've served in a number of churches and then just been in a number uh, with my studies. I had to go to uh, uh, all sorts of, of different, even non-Christian uh, uh, faiths to visit there uh, as an experience. And uh, it was fascinating. This is a great community and you love each other. But you know what's more impressive to me is your theology is good. You have good theology. Everybody I talk to, you guys, you guys have it straight. You know it's the Bible first. And, and then, you know, uh, it's awesome that you, you understand that, that the Holy Spirit is like a third part of the Trinity and not some add-on. And that you can access the untapped power of God. How exciting is it? You have great theology. But worry will mess that up. Worry messes it up. Does it mess it up for you? It messes it up for me. It messes it up for me because then I start to go, God, why don't you do this? Why is it this way? Why, 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 why? I start to lose perspective and I start to get frustrated with God and I start to put my frustrations into a false image of God. Do you know what a false image of a God is called? Idol. It doesn't always have to be wood, guys. It doesn't always have to be metal. The construction of an idol, first and foremost, is up here. Before anybody ever made the golden heifer, they had to imagine it first. That's how art works, right? You know, you, you think about it, you, you grow an afro, and then you paint happy trees. But, you know, the thinking has to come first. It's a Bob Ross joke, by the way. Here's the deal. You can make an idol up here. And the idol can be named Jesus. That's scary. That's what cults do, right? That's what cults do. Yeah, we're Christian-ish. We're Christian-like. Yeah, we love Jesus and stuff. And stuff. And stuff. Okay, wait, how much stuff? And stuff. And we create this idea of God. So on one end, he's wrathful, and he's mean, and he's nasty, and he doesn't care about me. Those are those angry people who walk into church like this, right? On the other end, it's like, you know what? Whatever. Whatever. God doesn't really care. Those are the people who wander into church every once in a while, and you're just like, where have you been? What have you been doing? You know, how was jail? You know, and, and, and there's this, this whole spectrum of our beliefs on God. And so when it doesn't come out of the Bible, when it doesn't come out of sound teaching, when it doesn't come out of true devotion and discipleship to Jesus, and it comes out of our hurt, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, theology gets shot right in the head. Your, your thoughts about God get off. Your thoughts about God get broken. You know, there's a lot of Christianity that does not believe that the Holy Spirit is doing work in our lives. But isn't it interesting when they have a crisis that they're the first ones to ask for prayer? I'm like, wait, I, I thought God was not active. I, I thought that all ended with Acts. I, you know, I thought the New Testament was the end. Oh, the cessation. Oh, you need a miracle now, right? Okay, I see how that works. And so sometimes bad theology can turn good where they go, I, I don't care. I don't care if it's true or not. I need Jesus. You know, I need the Holy Spirit to do something. But more often than not, it messes with our theology. Think about it. 
Was Elijah a fireball calling down weather controlling superhero? Yes or no? Yes, and he was awesome. How do I remember this story? It's simple. Every Sunday school ever slapped that puppy. I remember the flannel graph of the burning and the altar and the guys with the, I can still see it vividly. Why? Because it's an awesome story. I, I, better than any Hollywood movie. This is a great story. So could he have gone back home and done almost anything to Jezebel? Could he have asked God to kill her? Could he say, God, please do one of those amazing drone strikes from heaven with the laser beams and the fire ball? That, that would be amazing. And you know what? God would like have probably done it because she was awful and wicked. But his theology was messed up. His understanding of who he was in the order of God. He was no longer this great warrior. He was weak and powerless and frail. And he ran. You and I, looking 2020, were like, bro, it was like five minutes before you were doing all this awesome stuff, and now you're running like a, like a, a, a little girl, you know, no offense to little girls, they're you know, more tougher than some of us, but like, you and I, we have perspective, and we can see on the treadmill, oh, that's what God did back there, that's what God did here, there's the fireball, wow, that was amazing and hot, you know, there's, there's the, the rain, it, 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 whoa, you stopped the weather over here, and, and God is with you, hello, he's a prophet, so what does that mean, who's speaking to him? God, God is speaking to him, audibly, I mean, that's crazy, or at least that's how I always imagine when the prophets are hearing from God, that God's actually like, hey, I love this, but his theology is messed up. God says this, you're miles away, Elijah, from where I had you. I had you here, and I had you doing work, and I had you changing this broken kingdom full of gross, horrible things. But because you were worried about tomorrow, now I have to ask this question. What are you doing here? See, let's think of the implications. If Elijah had cleaned house, how many lives would have been saved because the worship of Baal required the firstborn sacrifice of your child? Think about that. He ran a month worth of sacrifices. Now, I don't know the math there. I don't know how that worked. I don't know if it was once a week or maybe once a year. I, I don't know. But what I do know is that he ran and that there were very real consequences because his theology was broken. We have that in America today where we sacrifice our young. And we are still sacrificing our young because of the broken theology of worried Christians. The broken theology of worried Christians. The onus is on us. Why are we mad when heathens act like heathens? I tell that to the youth all the time. They come up and they're like, man, I just, I don't know, my school's so gross and everything they do and they cuss and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, they're heathens. Like, that makes sense to me. It would be weird if they were, like, praising Jesus and acting very nice, but they weren't Christians, right? That would be weird. If they were holy moral people and they had no reason to love Jesus, that would be strange. A, a, a leopard doesn't change its spots. So God asks, what are you doing here? 
And Elijah has to say, I'm running. I'm running. And some of us run mentally. You know, we ignore our wives or we ignore our schoolwork or we ignore our work at, uh, at our job. When my, my first time with my mom and the whole brain tumor, I, I didn't realize I was running, but my work started to decline. I started to do very poorly at, at my job as a producer, and I was missing some deadlines and all that stuff, and, and I asked my pastor about it, and he said, well, it's probably your mom. And I'm like, what? Those two aren't connected. He's like, yeah, you're, you're worried. You're letting worry consume you, and, and it's mentally damming up your mind. Some of us run physically, and we go, as soon as bad things happen, as soon as, as soon as there's trouble, as soon as there's something stressing us out, we go to a panacea. We, 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 we self-medicate, right? Some of that's drugs. Some of it's addictions. Some of it's bad habits. We, we, we actually move physically, and some of us run emotionally. We get cold. We shut out. We, 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 we lash out. We freak out. And so that's actually what he does. He goes, God says, what are you doing here? And he says, I've been zealous for you, God. The Israelites have rejected your command. They're trying to kill me too. I'm the only one left. And this is what God says. I love this because God never feeds that. He never feeds that. That's one thing I had to learn as a parent. And if you're a parent, you know that too. You don't have to answer their dumb questions. I was amazed by this. I want this. I'm not even going to say no. I'm just going gonna, gonna to stare at you until you walk away. What do you think about that, four-year-old kid? I'm bigger than you. I outweigh you. What? What now? I want more gummy bears. What are you going to do about it? Get a job, right? I love When you're in an authority position, oh, this, this took me 33 years to understand this. I had to have kids, but it's helped me at work. It's helped me in, as a pastor. I don't have to answer every question. I like it when youth come up to me and they go, what should I do about that? I don't know. What do, you, what do you think you should do? And they're like, well, I didn't think about it. And I'm like, let's think about it. Let's take a moment and think about drugs. You know what I mean? I love that. I love that I don't have to answer every question. I don't, I don't have to. That's a great leadership tool. It's a great parenting tool. God doesn't answer his question. He's like, yeah, let's just do this. Go outside. I got something to show you. Go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. It wasn't a request. It was a threat. And Elijah is like, and that's going to do what? That's going to do what, God? How's that going to help? Oh, great, the presence of God. That's what I need. I need the presence of God to save my life. Nobody else believes in you. You want me to go stand at the mouth of the cave. And you know what's interesting? I love this because it's in the subtext. It doesn't really say that. But if you read it, you realize, I had to read it a bunch of times, you realize he doesn't obey God. He doesn't go out to the mouth of the cave. The fourth thing that happens with worry is that it impacts our obedience. It hurts our obedience. The, the fourth casualty is obedience. You see, now we do something, my kids do great. Temper tantrums. So one cries. He's the chubby one with the blonde hair. And I'm like, that's fake. No, it's not. It's real. See? And I'm like, ah. And he knows his greatest weapon because his cry is so annoying. 
The other kid, I can listen to him cry all day. You know, that's funny. But like that one, when he cries, I'm like, ah, why? Why did you make this child's vocal cords like this, you know? The other one breaks my heart. I swear they, they, they tag team this. And he goes and he cries and he curls up in a little ball in the corner, a visible corner, right? Of course. You know, he, and, and you're just walking by and you're like, ow, be still my heart. This is awful. Why, why God? How do they know what hurts me? What, what makes it work? But God is not moved. He's like, okay, okay, you're going to stay inside the cave, huh? Okay, let's do this. And he sends an earthquake, and it doesn't, and he sends wind, and he sends fire, and he sends all this stuff. I love how it says, the wind tore the mountain apart. He's like, oh, you want to stay in the mountain? Okay. Hello, Willie. How's it going? You haven't fun in the mountain, you know? I love it. And he's like, oh, my gosh. Maybe it's just my ADD brain. I, I imagine all these things. Julia listens to me like giggle to myself as I write these sermons. Then this earthquake. More shaking. You like the shaking before? This is better, you know. Fire. It's hot now, huh? Huh? I bet you didn't like those eyebrows anyway. You know? Fire. And he goes, okay, okay, okay. Hey, hey, Elijah. I don't think it was like the, you know, we always, we always love this passage, right? When we preach about it, we're like, oh, God, I just need you to speak in a whisper. I just need your comforting whisper. I don't think it was sweet at all. I think it was annoying. Hey, Elijah. Hey, hey. Okay, I can't stop my kids from calling it a baba, right? It's not. It's a cup. I'm like, it's a cup. You want a cup? You want a cup? And no, I want a baba. I want a baba. Baba. I will do anything to stop you from saying that word. Here's ten babas, you know? Elijah. Hey, there's something really cool out here. Are you sleeping? Are you asleep? You sleep, Elijah? Come on. Elijah's like, Fine! 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 Just leave me alone! He comes out. Oh, he obeys. God gets what he wants, like all the time. Like all the time. And God looks down at him and he goes, Hey, did you like the earthquake? Did you like the wind? Did you like the fireworks show? The fire was pretty cool. I mean, I know you've seen it before, but this time it was really good. I put like some extra guy in there, right? You like that? Are you impressed? Elijah? Do you see the difference between you and moi? Is it, is it factoring in there, pal? Buddy? Now, I, I guess I read it differently because I know that's how God speaks to me. Ryan, stop doing that, right? And so you can read this passage however you want, and I'm sorry if I've forever like, damaged the movie that plays in your mind when you read this passage. All I know is that God is really giving it to him. And, and <laughs> here's the deal. Elijah goes again with his exact same explanation. The exact same explanation. He's like, yeah, God, but I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. You know, the Israelites are rejected. You're coming in. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He repeats himself. The next casualty of worry 
is logic. You actually become dumber. You actually can't think your way out of situations. Allies become enemies, and enemies become friends. What is bad for you, what is poison to your soul, becomes medicine. I think there's more drug addicts because of worry than we want to admit. I think there's a lot of addicts, sexual addicts, because of their worry than we want to admit. I think addiction is so tied to this idea. And again, God is not impressed. He says, what are you doing here? Go back. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. And he goes, what? Aram already has a king. He goes, oh, also, anoint Jehu king over Israel. He goes, okay, time out, God. Time out. Before I go do this, Israel already has a king. Hello, his wife is trying to kill me, Ahab. Oh, by the way, you dumped your servant. You're also going to go back and pick up a new guy, Elisha. And it's going to be very confusing in Bible quiz for kids to remember which is which. <laughs> and Elijah has to go, oh, it's like a Job moment. Oh, you've... You've figured this out, haven't you? And God goes, mm-hmm. You were looking down the road, mm-hmm. You've been with me the whole time, mm-hmm. You were here even before the fireball, mm-hmm. You were in the world before I exist, uh-huh. You, you know exactly what's going on, uh-huh. You know I'd be here, uh-huh. You made this cave for me to go hide in? Yeah, a couple thousand years ago, I bored a hole in this rock for you. Moses walked by it and didn't see it. But it was here, waiting for this moment for you. Listen. I'm going to wrap up here. There's times, and the only reason I can preach this message is because I'm old enough to have filled my life with worry. I do not believe I do not believe I could have preached this message before God gave me twins. Or before that, a wife I was worried she would figure out I'm so ugly. That's why I pick up her contact lenses. They're like half power. <laughs> I could never, I could never have preached this without spending five years with your teenagers and seven years with a bunch of other teenagers and listening to their heart and their pain and what they've gone through. I'm not saying I'm this great repository of wisdom because I'm, I'm not. But I'll tell you what, I know what I can and cannot do and I could not have preached this five years ago. I do not know if I could even preach this message one year ago. The worry of life sends us moving, running. And every once in a while, God has to come back to us and he has to say, hey, 
What are you doing here? I don't condemn you. I don't make fun of you. I'm not attacking you. What are you doing here? I had you here, Ryan. I had you here, young lady. I had you here, middle-aged man who has a temptation to go on this website and type your name. I had you here. How do I know that? Because just this week, a Baptist pastor committed suicide because he couldn't deal with the shame of the Ashley Madison hack and his name popped up. And his wife and his beautiful son and daughter got on uh, one of those TV shows and they said, we would have forgiven him. We would have forgiven him. With the guilt and the shame and dare I say it, the consequences of worry became too much. And God, I know God. I know God was like, hey, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? But he never left the cave. And it collapsed on top of him. He never obeyed. Worry isolates you into thinking you're the only one here. But you're not. You know what worry is? It's a form of pride. Worry is actually a form of pride. It says this issue is so big, only I can handle it. This issue is so big, I'm going to keep it all up here. But those of you that have computers know what it's like when you fill up the hard drive and it doesn't work anymore and the computer doesn't work anymore because, and, and, and if you're not techie and you don't know what to do, you bring in a techie guy and he goes, oh, what is this doing here? You have too many movies, you have too many documents. What, is, what are they doing here? That's not what this is for. It's destroying the system. That's worry. That's worry. If you have worry and you allow it to drive you into habits, behaviors, emotional frenzies, develop a wedge in your relationships, do stupid financial things, consider doing things that you've never done before. Why is there more robberies by first-time offenders during Christmas? Worry. They don't have money and they're worried their kids and the pressure of advertising and, and, and culture and everything is getting to them and their kids are asking for the latest and greatest thing. So they think in the craziest part of their mind that they can steal from the till while nobody's looking. Worry. And God goes, what are you doing? It's almost like God says, hey look, Elijah, I understand why you're here if I didn't do all that stuff in the past. I get it. Like, that's scary. Jezebel's a monster, and she's got this army. Oh, scary. I get it. But you've seen me. If I wasn't here, I'd, I'd understand. But I'm here, and I've been with you. So it's not right that you're doing this. It's not right. You've walked with God. You've prayed with Jesus to trust him. You have history here. Many of us have seen bad things happen that have actually turned into really great things. You know what I'm talking about. Horrible things. 
My best friend, Andy Foreman, lost his nine-year-old son last week. I'm flying down to Tuesday in Texas to be with him. And this, this little boy, Kyle, was uh, um, severely handicapped. Couldn't uh, even control his body. Lived nine years, and uh, they said he wouldn't last three months after birth. It was a surprise. The doctors didn't uh, see it coming. Uh, they just thought it was a cleft palate, and he came out very, very deformed. And that young pastor, three months into marriage when uh, uh, they conceived, and then nine months later, so a little over a year with his new bride, had this enormous burden, this huge special needs. And he looked up at me in a moment of just uh, frustration, and he said, I just don't know why it's happening to me. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know why either, Andy. I said, but what I do know is this. God can trust you with Kyle. God can trust him. Because he never let worry overtake him. He never let worry become such an issue that they, 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 they made huge sacrifices to keep Kyle in the home instead of shipping him off. They, they made huge sacrifices. And when he passed away... Um, my, my good friend Jason put a GoFundMe page together and it garnered uh, $8,000 in less than 20 hours of people all over the nation who Kyle has touched in their life. And you can say, you know what? They could have spent their whole life worrying and being mad and being bitter and being frustrated and, oh my God, what, why? What is going on? And they could have run. Andy could have left his wife. He could have taken off found a brand new marriage. She could have left. They could have had a horrible marriage. They could have stopped having children. They had more kids, two beautiful uh, uh, girls. But instead, they returned to the calling that God put on their life. And he said, this baby boy is is not going to stop me from ministry. I'm going to put Kyle to work. And they dragged him to every service. They dragged Kyle, and, and they had this big van that somebody donated. You know, those things are like sixty dollars or $70,000, these specialized vans. They dragged him everywhere, and they said, he is not going to stop our ministry. He's going to enhance our ministry. He's not going to break our marriage. He's going to make our marriage. He's not going to break me as a father. I'm going to be a better dad because of Kyle. And he said, I'm so glad you're coming down, Ryan, for the celebration of my beautiful son's life. And that's what it is. Because now Kyle is dancing on whole legs and feet and thinking with a clear mind with a perfect smile. Maybe you've worried too much. There's God. And he says, listen, I'll take the burden. And you say, God, I've done all I can do. I gotta trust you with my tomorrow. God, I've done all I can do. I'm exhausted every opportunity available. I'm trusting you with my tomorrow. I'm not gonna let worry drive me to a place that I have no business doing. I'm not gonna get to a point where you have to call me out with special effects. I'm going to walk into tomorrow with confidence that God has everything under control and you've never been nervous. God has never worried about anything ever. Have you gone to some places you shouldn't have gone? I would say we all have, but are you there right now? 
you got to go back to where you came from. Dad has the stress of work and, and all the hours that you've been putting in. And I mean, you survived the, the economic foreclosure and all that crazy stuff, the shutdowns and the, the layoff and all that stuff. By the skin of your teeth, you killed it. But now, in trying to save the finances, have you made some sacrifices with your relationship, with your wife, or with your kids? It's time for a family meeting. Call them. Call them together and say, guys, sorry. In my rush to save the house or the cars, I lost a piece of our relationship. I'm sorry. I've got to return Maybe there's something in your life that you can't control. It's like a kid, and, and God, you, you raised them the way you should go. And a little punk is just, ah, uh, turned his face, spit in your eye. Rebellious, nasty. And the worst part about it is if it was 10 years ago, it wouldn't have been a problem. But now you get to watch all of his exploits live day by day on the internet because that's how the internet works now. Social media is shoving his garbage in your face. And you're sick of it. Everybody's liking all this garbage he's posting and your heart is just hurting. Flip the genders. Make it a grandkid. Make it a father. You know what I'm talking about. You're worried. You're consumed. I get it. I wouldn't have five years ago, but now I do. God's invitation to us, you gotta go back. Trust me with your tomorrow. Jesus put it pretty bluntly. If God is as concerned with you as you are with you, there's no reason to worry. And he's smarter than you. You started a habit, it's time to get help. Time to break it. Time to return to wholeness and health. If your health has fallen apart because of worry, and WebMD says it will, it's time to let that go. Maybe a little less treadmill even, and maybe a lot more prayer. Let's start there. Maybe the physical trainer's not going to heal your soul. Can we pray? Let's close our eyes. I would like to open up this altar for anyone who would like to pray with a pastor. This is gonna be a, a moment of no judgment. We don't know why you want to pray, but how many of you would say, Ryan, uh, something you said tonight or that Bible story you, you, you brought out, it just, it hit home, man, and, and I am over with this worrying. I, I am spent and I can't do it any longer. I need to give it to God. I need to come out of the cave and I need to confront God and I need to see him face to face and I need him to say to me what to do next. I need to have him show me some direction. Look, we're, we're Pentecostal. We believe that the Holy Spirit will talk to you today. 
if you ask him to. He will talk to you today through somebody else, through a prayer, or maybe audibly. I don't care. God's awesome. He does what he wants. How many would say, Ryan, I really need to stop worrying and I need God to fix this. Would you just put your hand up and say, that's me, Ryan. I, I am a worrier. I, have, I am letting worry consume. Yeah, sure. If, if, uh, if, if, if you notice that maybe your spouse put his hand up or put her hand up, I would just like for five minutes, right before 12 o'clock, if we could just sing. And we're going to just let the pastors pray over you guys. And I would like the elders and the deacons and the deacons to come up and just lay hands on everyone. Uh, 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 leadership, let's wait a couple of minutes for everybody to come up front and spend some time in the fire, in the earthquake and then to hear the whisper of God. Let's, let's give them just a couple of minutes first, and then we'll come up and we'll pray with them. And, and, and I want you to ask them, what are you worried about? What are you worried about? And the act of confessing your worry is going to fix everything. Balcony, listen to me. Listen to me. I know it's dark up there. This is the moment to let go of worry. In the back, in the front, this is the moment. God, I pray right now, that we would find the courage to overcome that thing that worries us and to go back home, to return and to have resolve. Come, come now, come now. 